Jesus, we just thank you that you are God, that you are mighty, and that you are with us, that we do not have to fear anything that comes our way because you are with us. Jesus, I pray today that you would speak to us, that you would call our names, that we would hear your voice, and that we would answer your call to be with you, that we would be with you, that we become like you, and that we would stand in you. So Jesus, be glorified today, and we pray these things in your awesome name. Amen. You may be seated. To start off with this morning, I have a quick question for you. Now, I don't think I'm the only one, like the first service seemed to let me in on. They seemed to think that I was the only one that when I was little, I would get super excited when, you know, my cousins or my grandparents were coming to town and this anticipation would build and I'd get so excited. Or if, if I knew that some friends were coming that I hadn't seen for a long time, and it was always like, Mom, how long? How, how long? When, when are they coming? Are they going to get here soon? You know, kind of like when you're on that road trip as well. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Or when you're anticipating a holiday or a vacation, there's just like so much welling up in you that you're just maybe even pumped. Now, does anybody feel that way when you were young? Just a couple? Okay, cool. So not the only one. I knew that I wasn't the only one. Um, but you know what? I'm still like that. I, I, don't, I haven't grown up. And most of you think, well, yeah, you're kind of short. You haven't grown up. But, you know, uh, now I still get super pumped when I'm, like, my family's coming to visit. I get to see my nieces and nephews. Or, or if I'm, I get to go to Saskatchewan or Manitoba, see some friends I haven't seen for a long time. Or a holiday. I love holidays, as all of us should, I think, you know, um, and I look forward to it, but I feel like I can't get too excited because I got to get everything organized and set up before I can actually get excited and go, but beneath the, the professional mask that maybe you guys are like, you don't have a professional mask, um, <laughs> beneath that, I actually am like, oh, I cannot wait to go, this is going to be awesome, but then I go, or my friends come to visit, and my family comes to visit, and all of a sudden, it's done. And it's done way too fast. And it's like this anticipation is built up for so long that I'm almost more dejected afterwards because I was like, wow, that just went way too fast. I think some of you moms or cooks in the room know what that's like when you put so much time into a meal and then it's done in like 20 minutes and you're like, I was cooking all day, seriously? You know, <laughs> like, you gotta be kidding me. You're almost more disappointed afterwards. Sometimes as Christians... I think we kind of do that with, with our faith traditions or calendar events. We get so excited for Christmas. We get so excited for Easter. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't. We definitely should because Easter, what we celebrated last week, that is the foundation of our faith. That Jesus, God, came down onto this earth, walked among us to die for our sins, and then he rose again on the Sunday so that we could be with him. Amen. That's what we celebrate. But you know, we don't have to just wait for Easter to celebrate. You know, we shouldn't think after Easter, well, I guess I got to come down off my high and just live for the next year. No. It's because of Easter that we can have life every day. It's what Easter represents that should mark us every day of our life. Every day is because of what he did. So today, what I want to go through with you today is what it looks like to answer Jesus' call every day. 
We're going to carry on in the series uh, going through the book of Mark that Pastor Paul has been going through. And we'll be in Mark chapter 3, verse 7 to 19, if you want to flip there. And this passage is kind of an overview or a recap of Jesus' ministry. So it looks back on the past couple chapters that he's been going through, or that Mark has been writing, but it also foreshadows what else is going to happen in Jesus' life. So he's looking at what Jesus did, who he was with, who responded to Jesus. It's kind of looking at these things. So I want to start in verse 13, though, and it says this. Jesus went up on a mountainside and called to him those he wanted, and they came to him. He appointed 12, designating them apostles, that they might be with him. You know, in light of Easter and in light of this passage, we see that Jesus calls his followers to be with him. That's why he came to earth, to die so we could have fellowship with him. We don't have to anticipate Easter only to celebrate on that one Sunday, but rather because of Easter, we can anticipate every day because he made a way for us to be with him. He calls us to be with him. You know, this, uh, Mark is painting this picture in Mark chapter 3, and it's this picture of Jesus calling his disciples, and I think he's painting this picture for a specific reason, a couple specific reasons. And the first one, well, actually, before I get to the first one, um, you know, it says that Jesus went up on a mountainside. You know, as you read through scripture, I love how God has orchestrated this Bible, It is incredible because the more you read, Pastor Paul says this sometimes, the more you read, the more your mind will start to go to different stories. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And you're just like, this is awesome. You know, when I went to Bible college, I just started to see it in such a different light and see how God was actually orchestrating it in the Old Testament to foreshadow things in the New Testament. And for the New Testament writers, when they were writing things, they were very specific to, to... Uh, bring into image or evoke images in our mind of what happened in the past and how they're connected because the New Testament writers are trying to tell us something specific when they're referring back to a passage in in the Old Testament. Usually they're trying to show us who God is or who Jesus is or they're trying to paint a picture of, look, I want you to grasp this too. So the more you read, the more you pick up on different little things like that. And it's super fun. You know, some people think, well, the Bible's kind of boring. Uh Uh-uh, I disagree. It is super fun when you start to pick up on these things. But it takes time sometimes. So Mark is writing, and he says that Jesus went up on this mountainside. So if you know scripture, maybe something is coming into your mind. And maybe not, and that's fine too. But something that maybe Mark is trying to get at is he's trying to reveal who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. And he's looking back because this is kind of reminiscent of when God was on the mountain and he called Moses up to speak with him. The story is in Exodus 19. The Israelites had just come out of Egypt. There was crazy, miraculous signs and wonders and uh, the parting of the Red Sea. And they come out and they come to Mount Sinai. And God says to Moses, Moses, I want you to tell the people to consecrate themselves or to cleanse themselves. Because in three days, I'm going to come and meet with you guys. So Moses tells the people they're all ready, and then on the third day, the mountain is lit up. Like there's fire, there's smoke, there's clouds and lightning and thunder, there's rumblings. It's an incredible scene, and the people are actually kind of nervous. And we see that on that day, the people came out, but they weren't allowed to go up onto the mountain. But instead, God calls Moses by name to come up and to speak with him, to meet with him. 
Now, why did God call Moses up? Well, because Moses was to be God's representative to the people and the people's representative to God because God was making a covenant with this nation of Israel. And Moses was to be the go-between, the one who is going to help establish this. So God calls Moses by name up onto the mountainside. Why, why did Mark paint it like this? Why did Jesus go up onto the mountain and call people to himself? Wouldn't it have been easier so that people aren't like huffing and puffing when they get up to the mountain, you know? Like, how did, why did he do this? Well, I think because he wanted to show us that he is God. He is God. He is God in the flesh who came down. He's on the mountainside, and now he says, I'm going to call people to be with me. I'm going to call specific men to do life with me. And why did he do this? Because Jesus was establishing a new covenant through his blood, what we celebrated this morning through communion, that there is a new covenant, a new way to be with God. And Jesus, he called 12 men, reminiscent of the nation of Israel, 12 tribes of Israel, not to replace the, tr the nation of Israel. You, man, you look throughout history, you know that there's something powerful about that nation because God's hand is with them. But rather than to replace the nation of Israel, to graft in the church into the, God's redemptive plan, a plan of salvation, saying there is a new covenant in my blood. I'm calling the nation, I'm calling the church, I'm calling all nations to be with me. So here's Jesus. He goes up onto a mountainside and he calls 12 men to show that he is God. He's starting a new covenant. He's making a new covenant in his blood. The second reason why I think Mark paints it this way is to highlight the calling of the disciples. So, um, Mark, in his gospel, he has a couple different themes. One of the themes we've already kind of seen that he tries to get across is that Jesus is God. He is the Son of God. He's trying to get that across through this book that he's written. And then another theme that he writes is this idea of discipleship and what discipleship looks like. So he calls disciples. And, you know, some scholars say that New Testament discipleship is firmly rooted in the Old Testament, in the idea of the forming and calling of Israel out of the nations to be God's peculiar treasure. So God, back in Exodus, chose the nation of Israel, and he chose them with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, but then we see this covenant with Israel. So he calls the nation to be his peculiar treasure, his chosen people. So he calls this nation out of the world, out of the nations, but then he also says, you are going to bear testimony to my name among the nations. So he calls them out to send them and say, okay, now you bear testimony that I am a good God, that I am living, that it's good to serve me. You go and bear my name among the nations and bring other people. So this is what happened in the Old Testament, but now Jesus, we see like in this time, in this age that Jesus is walking on the earth, he does it backwards. See, people then, young men, they would, they would go and they would find somebody that they want, would want to learn, learn from. So they'd go up to Pastor Paul and say, Yo, Pastor Paul, can I, you know, can I sit under you and learn from you? And can you teach me your ways? And older people would say yes or no, you know. Um, but rather, Jesus doesn't have people coming to him like that. Instead, he changes it and he initiates the calling. He says, I'm going to call you by name. I'm going to call you out, and you are going to be my witnesses 
among the people to bear testimony to my name that I am living and that there is a new covenant in my blood. He's calling them out. The difference is that Jesus initiates. Jesus is calling people. Biblical discipleship stems from answering God's call because he initiates. It's like Pastor Paul brought out last week at Easter that when God calls your name, everything changes. And why does it change? Because he is God, yet he sees you. He calls your name to be with him. He's calling you to be his representative of his covenant. So have you answered his call? Have you answered his call to be with him? He's calling all of us, but we have to respond to that call and answer that call. I want to take a couple minutes and look, what it, look at what it would be like to actually walk with him, to be with him. So in verse 7, we're going to flip back to verse 7. And this is what uh, Mark tells us. Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake. So they're at the Sea of Galilee. And they, he withdraws with his disciples. And a large crowd from Galilee followed. When they heard all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, Idumea, and the regions across the Jordan and around Tyre and Sidon. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. For he had healed many so that those who were with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the evil spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell who he was. So what would it look like to be with Jesus? We get a little taste in this passage. And a little bit about what it would be like to be with him is obviously it was crazy. It was crazy busy. People were pushing in everywhere trying to get a piece of Jesus and touch him and everything. It was just insane. We got people throwing themselves down who were demon-possessed saying, you are the son of God. And then Jesus saying, don't be quiet, you know? And so it's pretty crazy, but we also see right at the beginning that Jesus wants to withdraw with his disciples. So to be with him, sometimes it looks crazy busy, and other times there's times alone with Jesus. Times just to sit with him and to talk with him, to be with him. So we see people, why is it crazy busy. He wants to get away because it's maybe like really busy and kind of tiring and overwhelming at times. It could have been that he wants to get away also because the Pharisees and the Herodians were starting to plan to kill him. So maybe that's why he wanted to get away and withdraw with his disciples. But why was it so busy? Why was it so crazy? Well, these people were all coming and it's crazy where they're coming from. See, Mark tells us they're coming from the center of Israel, from Jerusalem, Judea. And, but then they're also coming beyond the borders of Israel. They're coming from the south, Idumea or Edom. They're coming from the other side of the Jordan, which is beyond Israel's borders. They're coming from Tyre and Sidon, which is in Phoenicia or Lebanon today. They're coming from all over because they're hearing what Jesus is doing. And what is he doing? Another thing that would look like to be with him is that he was healing and he was teaching. He was healing people. He was touching them. And then he was teaching and he was preaching. In other passages, it says that people were amazed by what he was saying because he taught with such authority. They had never heard teaching like this. People were hearing what Jesus was like. It must have been pretty crazy to be with him. Have, um, you know, he was like a superstar where everybody wants to get, like, just touch him. And I don't know why this is, but when you go to a, a concert or when you're, 
when you see a famous person, you just kind of want to touch them or get a picture with them or something. And maybe it's only me, but I've had experiences like that. I went to the U2 concert a couple years back, and I was second row. Like, Bono was right there. And I wished I, I probably would have tried to reach out and touch him, but, you know, um, there was like a meter or something before between where the crowd stopped and where the stage started. So I, there was no point in pushing forward to try and touch Bono. But, you know, like, we get this overwhelming fact. We want to touch this superstar. Same thing with Jesus. He was this crazy superstar, but he didn't have any bodyguards. I, I think Peter thought he was his bodyguard or something, the way he whipped out his sword the night he was betrayed. And Jesus is just like, Seriously? It's been three and a half years and you still don't get it, do you? And then heals the guy's ear. You know, like Peter thought he was the bodyguard, but Jesus didn't have bodyguards. Instead, people were pressing up against him, touching him. And like, that would be weird if you're a germaphobe. Like, oh, you know, like, but there's Jesus. He's just doing life and people are coming. They were hearing that he was teaching and that he was healing. He was the superstar. That's what it would have been like to be with Jesus back then. Another thing, we also see crazy demonic activity. To possess people, throwing themselves down, saying, you are the son of God. That would have been a little bit overwhelming to see. And this is, again, one of Mark's themes, showing us he is God. He is the son of God. You know, and sometimes I've read this passage and I've learned about it and it still confuses me. Why doesn't Jesus allow the demons to declare who he is? Why does he always shut them up? Why is that? Well, some scholars think that the reason that he does that is because they're declaring it not out of a will or a desire to follow him, but rather out of fear and opposition. So he's saying, no, I do not want you to declare who I am. I want my followers to declare who I am. The people that I'm calling, I want them to declare because you have no right to, to say that I am the son of God. So he shuts up those demonic activity. He wants you and I to actually declare who he is. You and I to say he is the son of God. Like when Peter said, or when Jesus asked Peter, who do people say I am? And he tells them, and then Peter, or Jesus asks, well, who do you say I am? He says, you are the Christ, son of the living God. He doesn't tell him to be quiet because Peter was his follower. It's like Thomas, when he finally sees Jesus, and Thomas declares, my God, my Lord and my God. Jesus commends him for that. He wants us, his followers, to declare who he is. He doesn't want demons to declare who he is because they have no desire in following him. They're just scared of him. So it would have been pretty crazy to be with Jesus. And ultimately, it would have been an intense adventure. Whoever says that following Jesus is lame, well, they haven't followed him. They haven't been with him because it is the most intense, fulfilling, life-giving journey and adventure that you can ever live. The main point is that Jesus chose and called these 12 men to be with him, to do life with him. But what about us today? What does it look like? Well, because of the cross, the same offer is for us. He is calling our names to come to be with him, to do life with him. Mark is writing this gospel not just for, uh, to tell history, but rather for the Gentile church, for you and me, to show us that this call is for everybody who will declare Jesus as Lord. It's for today. He's inviting us into this call. 
So what does that look like to be with Jesus today? It's spending time with him in the word. This Bible is living and active. It is not boring. It's not just a history book. It is living, and God wants to speak to you through it today. He wants to speak. And you know, even this morning I was reading in Joshua about Jericho and when they go in and the, the walls crumble and stuff. And, and this morning while I was praying with some of the men and they, one of the guys prayed, he said, Lord, if there's any hearts that are hard or that have walls up, may they fall down. And I was like, Lord, you're, you're saying something. You're doing something today. And I believe that walls want, he wants to break down walls today. He wants to give life. He wants to give hope. He wants to give healing. God speaks through his word. Are you spending time with him every day? Are you with him? This is one way to be with him. Another way to be with him and spend time is talking to him, like a friendship. You need to talk to your friend in order to build a friendship. Jesus longs to hear your voice. Are you talking to him? Do you have time set apart like Jesus did every morning? He'd get up early before, before it was daybreak even, and he'd spend time with, the, with, with his father. Do we have times like that? But then also, Jesus walked in the spirit, constantly communicating are we walking with him? You know, Pastor Paul preached on that a couple weeks ago, this diligent, persistent prayer to be with God. We need to be with him. Why was Jesus ready to go to the cross? Because of his communication with the Father. If we are praying and communicating with God, we will be ready for anything that comes our way, just like Jesus was. We need to be with him. And another thing is, to, is church. And I'm not just talking about the building because the building is not the church. Rather, you and I are the church. It's people. And the Bible says that the church is the body of Christ. So therefore, when we fellowship together, when we serve one another, we're actually communing with God himself because God lives in us if we have declared Jesus as Lord. This is what Jesus calls us to. And it's not just coming to church on a Sunday to sit in a pew, but rather it's coming to engage and do life with each other. So it's getting involved in men's ministry, in women's ministry, in kids' ministry. It's serving in Stephen's ministry. It's serving as an usher or a greeter. That's communing with God as well. He calls us to be a part of his church, part of his body. God is calling us to be with him. Are we with him? This is where it all stems from. This is where life stems from, is being with the creator of life. So can I encourage us today to answer Jesus' call to be with him. And can I also say, if you have never answered that call, why not today? If you have never declared Jesus as Lord, as your Savior, why not today? Because he's calling your name. I believe he is calling people to himself today. Let's move on to the second point. And um, I just have this, uh, another quick question. How many of you have that person or that friend or spouse that you've spent so much time together that you have become like them? You know, my sister, Megan, uh, I call her Megs. She's hilarious, but we are super opposite, like very different people. Yet, when we're together, when she's visiting and we talk with other people and somebody's asking us questions or whatever, um, we will sometimes have three responses right in a row that we 
answer, exact wording and intonation. And we both look at each other after the third time, and we're like, you got to be kidding me. You know, and we just start laughing. Even our laughs, like, we start to laugh alike when we're together. It's ridiculous. And we haven't lived together under the same roof for the past 10 years. But we are still so much alike because when you spend time with somebody you become like them it's like that joke but I don't think it's a joke I think it's true when couples have lived or have been married for so long they start to look alike and you're like whoa you know they've been together for a long time right like when you're who you're with you become like them and that's why it's actually really important for young people to choose their friends wisely because you become like the people you're with Well, in the same way, being with Christ, we become like him. See, Jesus wanted to be with us, which is why he came to this earth to die for us, so that we could be with him for eternity rather than dying in our sins. But another reason why he wants us to be with him is so that we can become like him, so that we can have a Christ-like attitude and be a light to the nations so that we can be Jesus to the people around us. But if we're going to be like him, we need to know what he did. What he did when he walked on this earth. So if we look at his life in this passage, we see a couple things. So in verse 14, um, 14, once again, it says, He appointed twelve, designating them apostles, that they might be with him, so that he might send them out to preach. So Jesus, we see that he was doing lots of uh, preaching and healing. We already talked about that. But he chose 12 people. Why did he choose them? Not just to be buddy-buddy, but then also to say, okay, I'm going to send you out. And you're going to then preach. After you watch how I've done this, after you watch me, then you can go do the same. You can be like me. That's why Jesus wanted us to be with him. Sometimes, though, we think, well, I could never do that. I'm not one of the 12. He was calling just the 12. Well, I want to say that's a lie. No, that is completely a lie because Jesus is calling each one of us to be like him and to preach and to heal, do the things that he did. If you look in the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 9, it says that Jesus sent out his 12 disciples and he said, okay, go and preach boldly and I give you authority and power to cast out demons and to heal people. Okay, well, that's just the 12 again. Well, no. In the next chapter, chapter 10, Jesus then sends out the 72 people. Well, who are the 72? Followers of Jesus. Followers of Jesus. And what were they called to do? They were called to preach. They were called to, or they were given authority to cast out demons and to heal people. And then in Acts, which Luke also wrote, it was his second letter, Acts 2, Jesus poured out the Holy Spirit on 120 believers, and they did the exact same thing. And the way that Acts is written, it kind of hangs at the end. It doesn't really resolve itself. Why? Because the story's not done. The story continues on through you and me. We are called to be his representatives of this new covenant that Jesus has given us through his blood. Also in Matthew, Matthew 9 and 10, we see that Jesus says, you know, the harvest is ripe, but the workers are few. And he says, ask the Lord of the harvest for more workers. And then a couple verses later, he says, okay, I'm going to send you out, same type of deal. You're going to preach and you're going to have authority to cast out demons and to heal. Basically, Jesus is saying, well, you are the answer to that prayer for more workers. As you go out and do this, as you do my ministry, We will have new believers who are new workers in the harvest and we'll see more people come to Christ. We are 
the answer. We are part of this picture. We are called to be with Christ so that we can become like him. So how did Jesus preach then? In verse 9, I love it because um, it says, Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. I don't think that Jesus asked for that boat just so that he could have a quick getaway or because he didn't want to be among the people or, or that he was a germaphobe. I don't think that's why Jesus asked for the boat. I think the real reason why Jesus wanted, to, or wanted the boat was so that he could teach and so that he could preach because he wanted to give the people more than just physical healing. It's like that woman who was sick for 12 years with the issue of blood. And it's a lot like this story. It says that she heard what Jesus was doing. And she said, if I could just get there and touch the hem of his garment, I will be healed. So she comes to a place that she shouldn't be. She was unclean. She comes into this uh, crowd. There are people gathered everywhere, pushing up against Jesus. She weasels her way through and eventually just gets, gets there and grabs the hem. And immediately she knew she was healed. And she slips away. But Jesus, he knew she was healed. And I love it because he stops and he says, who touched me? His disciples are like, are you crazy, Jesus? Do you not see this massive crowd? Everybody's touching you. But he persisted. No, who touched me? Who touched me? And he kept asking until this woman came and it says that she was trembling with fear, threw herself down at his feet and told him the whole story, how she's been sick for 12 years, how she was destitute because she tried, she gave all of her money to the physicians trying to get better and she's probably apologizing saying, Jesus, I know, I'm sorry, I'm unclean and I touched you and I touched all these people, I shouldn't even be here. She was desperate and I could only imagine that then she was silent and weeping and everybody's wondering, what's Jesus gonna do? Is he going to be like another teacher of the law or a Pharisee who gets upset that this woman touched him? But rather, Jesus sees the heart. And I'm sure he healed her with the first word. Not healed her physically, but healed her emotionally, spiritually, mentally, psychologically, every way when he says, daughter. Daughter, your sins are forgiven. Go, be freed from from this uh, bondage. Be freed. See, Jesus, when he teaches, when he preaches, he sees the heart. He looks deeper than just surface level. And if you and I are called to preach, we got to see deeper than surface level. We can't be those Christians who are just um, judgmental and, you know, spouting it out without taking into consideration who the person is. And yeah, maybe you're not called to be up on a platform preaching, but every one of us have been given a platform to preach in our our community, in our lives. Whether you're in the oil field, whether you're in the schools, whether you're at home, whether it's just with your friends at the play park or whatever, wherever you are, you have been given a platform to preach. Are you? Are we becoming like Christ? Are we becoming like him? We are all called into this. And I just want to say, um, you know, a couple, or last Wednesday, I shared with my senior high students that our lives are supposed to inspire awe in those around us. Why are they supposed to inspire awe? Because Jesus' life inspired awe. He caused the scene. We see people coming from everywhere. And if we are like Jesus, we should be inspiring awe. People should be coming. There should be a crowd gathering. It should cause a scene because people are finding hope and healing 
And to an extent, I think we are. I think our church is moving forward. We're seeing exciting things here. We're seeing people curious about what is this hope that you're talking about. Tell me it. And maybe you're sitting here today, and you are one of those curious people. Maybe you're broken. Maybe you're hopeless. And you're just wondering, well, what, what do you got? Because I'm desperate. Once again, I want to say, Jesus calling your name. He wants you to be with him. He has a great life for you. He wants to give you life. He wants to give you hope. He wants to make you whole. And for those of us who have walked with Jesus for a while, can I encourage us and challenge us? You know, we looked at his life, his ministry. It got messy at times. There were people everywhere. It wasn't always easy or fun. It was messy. And sometimes I think we get comfortable as Christians. We come to church and we're like, woohoo, I can come and sit and be comfort or in comfort. It's not always comfortable. You know, Jesus came to seek and save those that were lost. He came for the broken, the down and out, the people that needed love. Well, people who need love, who need hope, sometimes it takes a bit of time, a bit of energy. Are we willing to give a bit of time and energy with those people who are broken? Are we willing to walk with people? Because the church does not exist for ourselves. The church does not uh, exist for our own comfort. If it did, well, then it's just another social club, and why even come? No, that rather, the church exists to bring hope into a hopeless world. We are called to walk with the broken, walk with the hopeless, give life, give love, and it's not always easy, and it's not always comfortable. But is it worth it? Yes, because that's being like Jesus. Are we like Jesus? You know, I have to search myself on this one. Sometimes I'm annoyed, and no, I don't want to give more time. I don't want to be nice. But that's like Jesus. And I'm called to be nice. I'm called to give more time. Where are we at? Another thing that we see uh, about being with Jesus or being like him um, is that there was some crazy, weird, demonic activity. He agitated demonic activity. Um, and sometimes that's a little bit uncomfortable for our evangelicals, us evangelicals. Sometimes we're like, ah, we know Jesus did it, but we don't see it now. Well, if that's what Jesus was doing, and we see it throughout all Gospels, maybe that should be a part of our life. Maybe we should actually see demonic activity agitated because God is so overwhelming our life. What would that be like? But we cannot do it alone. And this comes to the third point, is that we need to stand in him, in his authority. I am nobody by myself. I have no authority by myself, no power, but in Jesus, I have all authority over any demonic force, any evil spirit that comes against me, any attack. Why? Because Jesus lives in me. His Holy Spirit dwells in me, and the same is for you. We do not have to be afraid or anything. We can go and stand in his authority. Verse 14 and 15 of chapter 3, it says, He appointed twelve, designating them apostles. Why? So that they might be with him. So that he might send them out to preach, and lastly, and to have authority to drive out demons. He gave this authority to his disciples then. He gives that authority to us too, but we need to stand in it. So many times, though, I don't even know if we're aware, and that's the first thing. We need to be aware of the spiritual battle. 
In North America, we seem so locked into the physical realm that we forget that there's a spiritual battle and we almost become lulled to sleep. I know I have. That's why I need to be with him. And I need to become like him. I need to be aware of the spiritual realm. I need to ask God to show me what's going on. I need to ask him for more discernment. We need to stand in his authority. And secondly, sometimes we get afraid thinking, what would this be like? But we do not have to be scared. We do not have to be afraid of what that looks like to, to stand in Jesus because of truth. And that's where we need to stand. We need to stand in truth. Like John wrote in 1 John 4, he says, we are children of God and have overcome any spirit that is not from Jesus because the one who is in you who is the Holy Spirit, which Jesus gave to us to empower us to do this life. So, because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. We do not have to fear any demonic force. Why? Because Jesus is victorious. We do not have to be afraid. Why? Because scripture says that Jesus disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. We are, are victorious because of Jesus. We need to walk in him. We need to stand in him. Stand in his authority. And third, I just want to say, you're forgiven. We do not have to live in our past. We do not have to be scared that our past hinders us from being used by God. Look at who Jesus chose. The 12 disciples. You look at Peter. He was this impulsive, crazy guy that would jump out of the boat and then start to sink because then he lost faith, you know, even though he was walking on water. Peter was crazy, yet Jesus moved him from being flaky to foundational. He moved him from being fearful to fearless. That can be you and I. You know, you look at um, James and John who were immature and who were extreme in their, in their walk. They wanted to call down fire and then they were arguing about who would be at the right and the left, you know, but Jesus used them in incredible ways. You look at Thomas who was the doubter, but he went from doubting to proclaiming, my Lord and my God, being used of God. He, anything in your past does not have to hinder you from being used by Jesus today and tomorrow and for the rest of your life. God wants to use you because he's given you his authority that he, he has. He's given you his authority. So really quickly, what does it look like to stand in him? Once again, it starts by being with him, praying diligently, asking God, make me aware. Give me discernment as to what's going on in the spiritual realm. I think also it comes from, um, from doing warfare through praise. As we glorify Jesus, the enemy trembles. The forces of evil quake in their boots because they, have, they can't hold a match to Jesus. Jesus is victorious. But we need to praise him. I'm trying to really surround myself with worship music right now so that I am praising him, glorifying him, so that my mind is fixed on him, my eyes are is fixed on him, and that I'm ready for any attack that comes. And that I see the enemy tremble because Jesus is glorified. What would happen if all of the churches just started to glorify Jesus' name and lift him high? I think we would see some pretty crazy things here in Red Deer. And lastly... It looks by standing in the truth, memorizing, quoting scripture. You need to know what this says in order to stand in him. 
Well, how did Jesus overcome temptation? He said, it is written. It is written. He knew the words of God, and he quoted them in those times of need. You know, when I'm feeling attacked or when I'm seeing um, some sort of spiritual warfare go on, i got to stand on Scripture. Jesus, I am redeemed. I am holy because of your blood. Quoting that insane truth over myself. I am a daughter of the Most High God. There is nothing that the enemy can do against me. I am standing in him. We need to know what scripture says, though, in order to stand. So will we stand? Will we stand in him? Ultimately, God wants to call more people to be with him. But how does he do that? It's through us, his co-laborers, his ambassadors to the world who are taking out this new covenant, this, this new gospel, that, or not new gospel, but uh, this good news to the people. People need to know Jesus wants to draw other people, but he says, I want to use you. Will you be with me? Will you become like me? And will you stand in me? And that's my prayer today, that we would go from here and answer God's call to be with him so that we may become like him, so that we can stand in him. I'm going to call the worship team forward, and if you don't mind standing, we're going to end the, end the service. And some of you, maybe you don't know Jesus. Maybe today you're hearing something, though, and I hope you're hearing his voice calling your name because he wants to give you new life. And maybe you've never responded to that call to be with him. And with every head bowed, if there's some of you who maybe want to respond to that call that never have before, if you want to declare Jesus as Lord, I'd encourage you to put up your hand and we will pray with you if there's anybody here who wants to respond to Jesus' call. Amen. And I'd encourage you, you can just pray and talk to God. You can talk to God and say, Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for forgiving me for my sins. And I want to respond to your call and be with you. So come be with me. And you know what? God will be with you. The Holy Spirit will come and live in you and empower you. And I'd also encourage you, fill out a, a card or something after the service and tell us that you did that. Or come and talk to one of us because we want to walk with you through this. Maybe there's some of you today, though, who are looking at your life and you've known Jesus for a long time, but maybe you're realizing, wow, I'm not really like him. And I'm not standing in him. Maybe you need prayer that you would be stand in authority and stand in his power, that you would be bold in any platform that you have in life. If that's you today, if you want empowerment, if you want God's spirit to empower you, to make you more like him, I'd encourage you to raise your hand and we will pray together that God will empower us to be a mighty force in our community. Amen. Jesus, we just come before you. And Father, we thank you that you are victorious over sin and death and that we do not have to be afraid of anything because of what you did on the cross. We thank you that you call our names to be with you, that we don't have to do life by ourselves, but that we get to do life with you. God, I pray that you would beckon us, that you would call us closer and closer to you, that we would answer your call every day to be with you. And Jesus, through that time, we pray that you would empower us, that you would make us more like you. 
God, make us more like you. That's what we want. We want to be your ambassadors. We want to walk like you. We want to talk like you. We want to see the hearts of people. Open our eyes. Lord, I pray that you would give us such great power and authority to go out from this place and to stand in you and to stand in your truth, that we would see the spiritual forces of evil quake because your body is going forth. We are standing firm in your gospel, in your truth, in your victory. So Jesus, I pray that over us as we go out from this place and we ask that your name and your name alone be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.